Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Jen McCaffrey. Jen is the Red Sox beat writer for Mass Live. You can give her a follow on Twitter at McCaffrey. Jen, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. We'll do the state of the Red Sox and talk a lot about the Red Sox in this episode. But before we do that, tell me what initially got you into baseball in the first place. I always, I, I just grew up watching, um, probably like a lot of kids in New England, um, watch, watching a lot of baseball with my, my dad and grandpa. And I was always into writing, um, went to uh, Syracuse for journalism and uh, kind of worked through, worked my way up through a bunch of internships and things like that. Started out, I worked for three years at the Cape Cod Times covering the Cape League um, in high school sports. And uh, about three years ago in 2014, I um, got hired by Mass Live to be Red so- a Red Sox beat writer. So um, I help out a little bit with Patriots too. Um, but uh, Red Sox is my full-time, full-time gig now. And you're different than a lot of beat writers in that you're young. And you've grown up in the digital age. I'm curious what your expectations were of being a beat writer and sort of working to the traditional newspaper beat, what your expectations were compared to reality. Sure, yeah. It's, uh, it is a definitely a really interesting time right now to be covering a pro team on a full-time basis, um, considering we have, you know, Twitter 24-7 and the age of the internet in which, you know, you can post anything anytime. Um, it's not like the old days where you waited for the newspaper the next morning. So you really have to be kind of on your phone, kind of uh, aware of everything 24-7, pretty much 365. Even, even when you have days off, um, you're kind of always just checking to make sure um, you know what's kind of going on and, and, and kind of being up on things. But I mean, I guess, you know, when I was in college, it, uh, it was sort of the, the boom of, of kind of when the Internet and Twitter was, was people were starting to figure out, I guess, the best way to use it. So it's been an interesting transition to into the into the work world over the last ten or so years um, to kind of I guess figure out how to best utilize what uh, I went to school with. I got a newspaper journalism degree, so obviously a lot of uh, a lot a lot of that is still applicable. But a lot of it also you kind of are learning on the fly of the best uh, you know SEO practices online and the best you know catchy, you know, headlines that are going to, you know, grab Google hits and, and all that kind of video and, and figuring out how to, you know, interact with fans on Twitter. And um, a lot of it's stuff that you learn just by doing and maybe not necessarily learned in the classroom. Um, so, uh, yeah, expect you know, I grew up reading a lot of the, you know, old time writers, uh, you know, Bob Ryan, Jackie McMullen, you know, Dan Shaughnessy in the Boston area. And, uh, really admired kind of their how they went about things but of course it's a totally um and they'll admit it themselves a totally different uh kind of uh playing field now with with the kind of landscape that we are you know this 24 7 landscape that we're we're in right now we are recording this podcast on wednesday the 31st the red sox are currently 28 and 23 they're right in the playoff picture here but it still feels like in a lot of ways they're underachieving. Things should be looking better. David Price returned. He looked okay. We'll talk about that a little bit. But right when David Price returns, Dustin Pedroia gets hurt. It's sort of you get one back, you lose one right there. But let's focus on Price's return. What did you see in him in that game? I don't think anybody was exactly sure what to expect from Price, given you know the ups and downs of last year. And then, of course, the two um, rehab outings he had in AAA Pawtucket were not very good. And, you know, 
you you kind of look at those as him just trying to get work in. So you're trying not to necessarily focus on the results. I think he gave up nine runs, six earned, and five and two-thirds over two starts. So that was a little alarming in one sense. But um, we, uh, you know, we're kind of uh, monitoring the situation all along. The velocity kind of kept picking up, and he was getting the, in, the, the pitches, the pitch count where he needed it to be, and came out to his credit on, on Monday and pitched a pretty decent game. I mean, he only made it into he only pitched five full innings, but uh, you know, for your first start back, if you're if you're kind of um, viewing this as maybe his first start of the season, um, when you're still a tad bit rusty, coming right out of spring training, maybe um, it was you know he gave up three runs. It was uh, two hits, and it was a three-run home run um, on a kind of a mislocated pitch from uh, to Melky Cabrera. So um, it, you know he didn't get. It's not like he got knocked around. Um, he gave up a couple of walks, I think maybe two walks, uh, struck out four. So the velocity was there right around where it was last year in that kind of uh, 93-ish area with the with the four seams. So um, all in all, it was, you know, it was better than what I expected. So I think I think the Red Sox were pleased with it. And obviously it's a stepping stone when talking to him afterwards. Um, you know, he said, you know, clearly, you know, room for improvement in terms of getting deeper in game. But just in terms of how he felt, um, he was just, he felt strong and he was happy with that. Never thinking about the elbow that's, uh, you know, completely past him. So I think um, overall, the Red Sox, I think, are pleased with that debut. And if he can kind of keep coming out and doing that, pitching deeper, you know, um, they'll be, they'll be uh, happy with any kind of results that are like that. Yeah, I think the velocity being where it was last year was a good sign. The amount of 3-2 counts that he had was bad. I think that's that could be a bad thing to maybe watch out for. You're always on the edge there when it's 3-2. Yes, you're a strike away from getting the batter out, but you're also a, a, a ball away from putting him on base. And a couple of those could have gone the wrong way, and that score could have been inflated. You know, So I, I do worry about the command coming back as much as the velocity uh, with him. Let's talk about Pedroia a little bit. He is out. He's on the disabled list now with a sprain wrist. Is it just expected to be 10 days with him? So that's what they're saying. Uh, you know, 10 days, uh, it was sort of this weird freak accident uh, in uh, word free play, I guess, in the first inning of uh, Tuesday's game, um, or sorry, when, uh, Monday's game, right during Price's, uh, Price's uh, first start back. Uh, Jose Apeo kind of fielded a, a ground ball hit by Pedroia, sort of off to the uh, to the right of the first base bag, and, and the, the White Sox starter, uh, David Holmberg, kind of didn't get to the bag quick enough, so Abreu sort of had a um, dive or slide, I guess, into the first base bag, and Pedroia tumbled over him as as, it, as he kind of reached the bag and landed sort of his full body on his, on his left wrist um, as he was kind of coming over Abreu. So he's had, you know, multiple surgeries on that left wrist in the past. He had season-ending surgery in 2014 on the left wrist. Um, that was also the, the thumb that he jammed in the beginning of the 2013 season. So um, there was a lot of cause for concern with the team, you know, when he was taken out of the game, uh, just with people assuming that this was the worst, you know, maybe uh, more surgery in the future type of thing. But they flew him back to Boston, had the medical staff there check him out, um, and he flew right back to Chicago. Uh, rejoin the team, and uh, they're saying, you know, they put him on the 10-day DL. They're they're terming it as just a left wrist sprain. It's swollen right now, but there's 
MRI and uh, x-ray showed no fractures. MRI, you know, just showed the swelling, but no structural damage to the ligament. Um, so when we talked to him yesterday, he just uh, was basically saying he was relieved to kind of get that news, um, that there was nothing kind of wrong with it structurally. And it's more about, uh, you know, getting the swelling down. You know, of course, there's always sort of, you know, a, a tentative period in the early going with, with these type of injuries. That if the swelling doesn't subside, that, that obviously means there might be something that's hidden um, that the MRI couldn't see. So, you know, I don't think uh, the Red Sox are out of the woods just yet with this, but they're, you know, Dombrowski and Farrell and, and Pedroia all yesterday sort of indicated that he'd be back as, you know, as soon as 10 days. But I, I'm still kind of, um, given some of the injuries we've seen in the past with them, um, I'm still kind of, I guess, leery is the, is the, good, is the best word uh, on, on how severe this might be just because he's had so many surgeries on that wrist. Um, and, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. We'll kind of see where he is in maybe about a week. Um, but uh, that's where things stand as of, you know, a day after it's happened. You are in Chicago now with the Red Sox as they're playing the White Sox. Chris Sale returned back to the White Sox last night. He ended up getting the win, but it was not his best start by any measure. He did throw a lot of pitches in the first two innings. Do you think that was just nerves being back in Chicago for the first time? Yeah, I honestly do think that uh, it was sort of a, a nerves adrenaline thing um, with Sale. You know, we've seen, uh, you know, through these first 10, 11 starts with him, just how amped up he can get. Um, a lot of guys get really amped up and kind of feed off of that, but he just uh, it sort of seems to take it to a whole new level. Um, and even if you were kind of like uh, gauging off the, the radar gun with him, he was throwing like 98, 99 in the first inning. And that sort of, to me, was like, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of velocity, he, he normally sits in sort of the, the 95, 96-ish area. Um, and, and so that sort of, um, maybe was a, a little bit of a, uh, uh, not a red flag to me, but I was, I just noticed it as, wow, this, he's really amped up. And he, he kind of still sat through that, through the second and third. Um, so, and he admitted after the game, you know, that, that it was, you know, the nerves are kind of the difference and kind of coming back to the mound, uh, you know, and how, you know, weird it might, it felt and, and the, the fans gave him a standing ovation and that kind of thing. So, I, I, you know, I think that did play a lot into it. This is clearly, you know, the worst start that he's had in a Red Sox uniform. But I think just kind of this whole week, there's been these pretty big media sessions with him. He was in a, a, a press conference room, and normally we talk to him just, you know, um, sort of off to the side in a hallway. And so there were it was just kind of a lot of fanfare this week. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of um, affected him in, in a sense and those high pitch counts were just, um, yeah, uncharacteristic of him. And and he admitted after the game, just, you know, how bad he was, but, um, and just was mislocating and kind of not, uh, I guess, extremely focused is what he kind of was saying and admitted, you know, that he stunk and clearly can be better. So, um, I think it, yeah, I think nerves kind of, and just the adrenaline of, of being back had a lot to do with it. One of the things that's interesting about Sale is that he had said last year when he was in Chicago that he was going to not try and strike everybody out, that he was going to pitch to contact a little bit more so he could go deeper into games. This year, he is striking everybody out again, and I wonder if the Red Sox specifically talked to him at the beginning of the year in spring training about a change in philosophy going for more strikeouts. Yeah, so we actually talked to Don Cooper, the uh, White Sox pitching coach, um, on Monday a little bit just about you know uh, Sale's return. And he, he sort of actually, uh, we asked him about that, and 
he was talking sort of about a, a philosophy that they developed with him over the past year or so um, before he arrived in Boston of pitching to, to more contact and, and kind of being um, that type of pitcher. And he had noticed, you know, obviously, and he said in watching video and clearly just following sale from afar, that, that the Red Sox sort of maybe tweaked that a bit with him and, and had him sort of go back to, to what he, you know, had been doing originally. Um, or maybe what was more comfortable. So it, so- it sort of sounded that uh, that Cooper and the White Sox kind of wanted him to, to be more of a, a contact pitcher. And, you know, maybe that sort of led to some of the uncomfortableness for him at points in Chicago and, and whether or not, you know, they were letting him be, you know, what he wanted to be. Um, he's he's always, Clearly he has a, a tremendous relationship with Cooper, so I don't think it was anything – specifically coming from Don Cooper himself. Um, but that kind of um, just kind of perked my ears up a bit in the sense that I I, I, actually, I wasn't aware of, you know, that um, being a thing last year and, and sort of um, you can clearly see the difference this year with, you know, the major leagues, uh, leading, him leading the majors in, in strikeouts and the number of 10 strikeout games that he's had already this year. Pablo Sandoval is also rejoining the team. I guess this is Pablo Sandoval 3.0 at this point. Is there anything, is there any hope for Pablo at this point with the Red Sox? If there is, you know, I think this is kind of the last straw, if you will. Um, We talked to Dombrowski yesterday in in Chicago um, regarding the Pedroia injury, but we're also kind of, um, Pablo was activated to take, uh, to take uh, Pedroia's roster spot on the 25 man. So, Pablo in the the first 17 games before he went on the DL with the the right knee sprain was not hitting well at all. Um, You know, he had a couple homers, he had a couple doubles, um, but was, you know, had like a 600 OPS or something along those lines and was just not not picking things up well at all. And Dombrowski admitted, you know, none of the guys really were at the, you know, the beginning of the season in April. Everybody was pretty much struggling, so... Uh, they're trying to give him, you know, the benefit of the doubt. Um, and, you know, Pablo in spring training, Dombrowski talked about how they were so encouraged because he came out in spring training in about, you know, 25 or 30 games. He, he hit 330, you know, had a 1,000 OPS and was kind of putting the ball over all over the place, uh, had pretty much an all-field approach, was, was hitting really well. Um, and then kind of the regular season started and he, he reverted back to, you know, what they'd seen, um, you know, in 2015. So Dombrowski basically said, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of give him that first 17 games um, before he went on the DL because he was so, uh, because the whole team was kind of scuffling, but they really need him right now um, to, to kind of pick up the pieces and put things together and be more consistent. And that's, you know, how, how Dombrowski phrased it, and especially, you know, considering in his absence, Devin Marrero has really solidified the defense at third base. Um, Marrero is a, you know, not, not the best hitter by any means, more known for his, for his defense, um, but has been tremendous over there in about 15 or so games um, that he's played. He's played pretty much every single game um, for the past two or two and a half weeks and has just done a tremendous job over there last night he hits two home runs so you know I think he realizes he's kind of fighting for that spot with Sandoval back and if he can kind of create a little competition there then you know Sandoval's going to really have to do something big to 
to earn their respect and, and get back in the lineup consistently. The Red Sox just called up Sam Travis, who's played well. He's going to play a lot against lefties. He could be the first baseman next year. I, I think he'll be here to stay. But it does also raise the question, especially if Pablo struggles, about their top prospect, Rafael Devers. What are the Red Sox plans for him? And do you think we'll see him later this year? I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him later this year. I don't think we'll see him anytime soon. Um, we've asked Dombrowski uh, a couple times over the past, you know, a uh, couple months and, and, and the other day, um, most recently, uh, just about Devers. Uh, he's, he's had a great season so far. He's sort of in right now, currently, uh, you know, a little bit of a slump at the plate over the past week or so. Um, but he, we, you know, talked to Dombrowski about having um, brought uh, Benintendi and Mancata up straight from double A, which is where Devers is right now. And, um, he sort of, Zembrowski was sort of uh, just saying, you know, every, every case is an individual basis. Um, they did that with those two guys. It's not that they wouldn't do it again, but also Devers is still just 20 years old and, and kind of still has a little bit to learn here and there. Um, they, you know, the bat obviously is, is the plus side and, and yeah, you know, has a ton of potential there. But again, you saw, you know, Benintendi flourished when he came up from, straight from double A and Mankata obviously didn't. So, you know, I think um, they're kind of uh, taking their time. Dombrowski said that they liked where he is right now um, and they don't kind of want to rush anything along. Um, So it doesn't sound like he'll be, Beavers will be up anytime soon, but, you know, they brought both of those Mankata and Benintendi up, what was it, probably in uh, mid-August or so last year, um, early August. So I wouldn't, be surprised if something like that happened with Beavers, but it also, you know, he could, I, I could envision him um, making a stop in AAA first just to kind of keep that progression and, and you know, uh, have him see a next level uh, of, of pitching as well. Speaking of Benatendi, he really struggled in May. He got off to a great start in April, but in May he hit 213, 306, 319. That's not very good. Do you see anything mechanically that he's doing different, or do you think that opposing pitchers are doing anything different to him now compared to the beginning of the year? We've, you know, talked to Farrell about that and sort of what he's seen um, from from Benintendi in, in that sense. And Benintendi's gotten a couple of days off because of that and, and sort of the struggles at the plate. Um, and it is about kind of guys um, pitching to him a little bit differently and sort of how Benintendi's adjusting to that. We always see this with guys coming up from the minors, these, these really top prospects um, that do really well um, through, you know, the first few months they're in the league before the pitchers start to adjust to them and find those weaknesses. And the ones that kind of make it through, of course, are the ones that can readjust to what guys are throwing at them. So I think Benintendi's sort of in that stage right now of sort of um, figuring out what he's getting and, and where, you know, his weaknesses are and how he can kind of adjust to it. Um, Farrell said, you know, it's a lot of the off-speed stuff that he's kind of um, figuring out basically and, and kind of uh, figuring out how he can reach or hit or, um, you know, uh, get in play. So a lot of it, um, is, it the struggles have, have come a lot from, from that side of things. And, uh, you know, I, we haven't seen necessarily any indication to, to that this is sort of a a long-term thing. It seems like he'll be able to figure this out and he's kind of working his way through it. Um, but at the same time, it is uh, it is interesting to kind of watch him 
you know, figured this out. And, and because he has such a, one of the things we've noticed with him, you know, over the past uh, few months that he's just been up here is his sort of even keeled demeanor and the way he um, doesn't really get razzed or, or upset or um, down about anything. He kind of just takes everything in stride. And obviously when you're not doing well and you're a young guy, it, it's a tough, a tough go, but, um, but he's kind of, you know, take, taken it all in and, and not kind of gotten overwhelmed. And I think that might be able to, that might be the thing that kind of gets him past the stage is sort of focusing on the, the bigger picture. And, uh, you know, and the fact that they're aware of it and trying to help him get through it is obviously key as well. I'm curious as we head into June, we start to get into trade season. I'm curious what you think Dave Dombrowski will do at the trade deadline. If you think he'll be very aggressive, if you think he'll be content, what are your expectations with what the Red Sox will do at the deadline? Yeah, you know, I think a couple things will kind of play play into what, what he does uh, at the deadline, where this third base situation is. If Pablo, you know, kind of comes in and, and isn't great, um, you know, or isn't uh, serviceable, um, can't can't really do much with the ball, what are they going to do there? Are they going to stick with Marrero? And, you know, is Marrero still going to be um, good enough, I guess, for them uh, midway through the season? So that'll be interesting to see what they do with that third base situation, um, depending on where they are, you know, at this at, in the middle, you know, early and mid-July. Um, and then the bullpen, you know, they're – don't really have much progress on Tyler Thornburg, who's been out with this right shoulder impingement, but that's sort of, you know, no real diagnosis. They're not really sure what's going on with him. So he's been down still since the beginning of, of the season. Carson Smith is supposed to be um, projected to be coming back sometime in mid-June. He faced hitters for the first time this week, but obviously, you know, there's going to be some buildup there, and, and you don't really know what you're going to get from him because from him, he's coming off of Tommy John. Robbie Ross is an uh, option back to their, a lefty um, that was really great for them last year, option back to uh, AAA Pawtucket and now has um, elbow inflammation. And any time you hear that, uh, clearly isn't a good sign. So the bullpen right now, um, you know, aside from this third base uh, competition or, or uncertainty, the bullpen, I think, is the biggest question. And I wouldn't doubt at all him kind of going, uh, Dombrowski sort of um, going out after, a reliever, maybe even two, to uh, to sort of solidify that bullpen because right now it's it's you got Craig Kimbrell, Matt Barnes, um, Heath Embry, Joe Kelly. Um, you know it's kind of and you know Robbie Scott, Fernando Abad. It's kind of a a lackluster group, if you will, aside from from Kimbrell, who's had a pretty great start to the season. But um, you know I don't think that they can get very deep with a with a pen like that. So uh, depending on where they are in, in early, mid-July, um, I wouldn't doubt that, you know, the targets or the focus for, for Dombrowski will be third base and, and the bullpen. I'm curious what you think Dave Dombrowski's biggest mistake so far in Boston is. Wow, that's a tough one. Um, let's see. You know, I think I think a lot of us, when he, when he kind of came in in that kind of, in that one fell swoop in that mid, mid-August, uh, firing of Charrington and, and hiring of, um, of Dabrowski, we weren't really sure necessarily what to expect with him um, in terms of, you know, what he, uh, what kind of, I guess, uh, evaluator and, um, and just uh, dealer really that he was, you know, that the, the biggest, I don't know if it's necessarily a surprise, 
but um, or or um, uh, mistake. But the biggest um, just thing that stands out most to me, um, you know, after this most the most recent winter meetings um, when they traded, you know, Shaw, uh, Travis Shaw, and they traded away um, Moncada and Kopech for sale. Um, I kind of was like parsing through some of the numbers and he's traded about, uh, 19 Red Sox prospects in about 18 months and, um, netted in return, I think eight or nine major leaguers. Um, so I think, you know, I, w- I don't know if it's necessarily a mistake in a, in a sense, but clearly he has, um, you know, an agenda of, of the win now approach and, um, you know, some of those guys, uh, you know, the, Drew Pomerantz trade, for example, right now, um, you know, it's still sort of an unwritten. If you could look at that trade as maybe the one that, that sort of is the, the strangest, if you will, um, trading away Anderson Espinosa, who was one of their um, really high top prospects uh, to San Diego. And then the whole situation with the, the medicals um, that San Diego withheld um, that kind of, um, that kind of situation, um, you know, the, the jury's still out uh, because Anderson Espinosa is on the DL or has had kind of a tough start to the year with he had, a, I think, an elbow issue. Um, and, of course, Pomerantz has sort of had this up and down in his, his up and down career so far with the Red Sox and is a little bit sort of uh, turning the corner right now. Um, we'll see how consistent that is. But I think more than anything, the biggest thing with him, I think, has just been how many guys, how many um, prospects he's traded away, and whether or not that'll negatively affect the, the Red Sox future, or if these these trades will pan out, and, and you know, kind of he'll be seen as this smart, uh, you know, these smart uh, moves that that help the team out more in the moment, and that these prospects maybe won't pan out as 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 much as the guys that help them right now. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the move that he did that actually I think hurt the future the most happened right away. And it's when he didn't sign Betts or Bogarts in his first off season. And the cost of that to do that now, he probably cost them hundreds of millions of dollars to try and lock those guys up now compared to the cost he could have gotten them for uh, back in whatever that was, 2015, 2014. So I do think that there was a mistake there. And I think that in terms of a cost wise, both in terms of actual dollars and the future may have been the biggest mistake that he made. I do want to ask you about John Farrell a little bit. John Farrell has had a couple of altercations with players this season. He had one with Drew Pomerantz recently. Have you noticed in your time with the Red Sox, have you seen a change in how John Farrell is perceived among the players? You know, that's been something, obviously, that's that's been uh, written about, especially over the last couple weeks. Um, The situation I think you're referring to is, Pomerantz, and in one of his most recent starts, um, was nearing about a hundred pitches, and I think it was the fourth or fifth inning. Wanted to stay in the game, and the cameras kind of showed uh, Farrell and him in a, in a pretty he, seemed pretty heated argument um, with Pomerantz sort of walking away from Farrell in the middle of uh, Farrell talking. So uh, that that got people kind of questioning things a little bit. How? How much control does Farrell have of his guys, and how much respect do they do they have for him? I honestly haven't seen too much, uh, you know, of a different feel um, from guys, you know, this year. The thing with Farrell is he's not, you know, um, 
he's not a Joe Madden. You know, he's not a he's not a Tony Lavulo, like in the sense that he's not um this really um engaging and um, you know, easygoing type of guy. He's a he's a baseball guy. He's very sort of hard nosed and, you know, and, I, and he has he has good relationships with guys, but I, it's not a, um, it's not a, it's not a relationship. It's more of a, I guess, like a teacher in his classroom as opposed to um, a friendly sort of like convivial atmosphere with these guys. You know, I think when when Farrell was battling cancer and Tori took over, uh, Tori Lavulo took over when he was still the bench coach in Boston. Um, Things maybe eased up a little bit because Farrell is such a um, just sort of has everything control and maybe is sort of more of this yeah hard nosed type I guess is the best way to put it. Um, whereas Tori sort of has a you know a little bit more uh, personality and maybe a little bit more fun and sort of maybe guys were um, especially the younger guys maybe felt a little bit more comfortable and they you know under under that sort of leadership. So you know I don't I don't, I don't think that guys um respect Farrell any less or anything like that that he doesn't have any control of the clubhouse or or that kind of notion. I think it's just um just the way he is and that his personality is not sort of this fluffy um let's dress up for the road and that kind of uh chemistry type thing. Guys respect him, but it's not a um it's not a it's 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 a it's a job, and he sort of treats it as a job. And you know, there's fun times, but it's not um, the way he manages is more kind of uh, just by the book, and and uh, you know anything else can kind of take place around them. And so you know, I think it guys like accept that, and it's not really it doesn't seem to be anything where the players are you know talking about you know how tough he is behind his back or anything like that. Um, I think it's just sort of how he runs his, he runs a pretty tight ship. Um, and, uh, and in some senses, you know, maybe things can get misconstrued and, and that, you know, he, he's taking a guy out of, out of a game for, for, uh, that player's health benefit. And that guy's a competitor and wants to stay in the game. So they're, they're arguing and it kind of comes across, uh, you know, differently than it, than it actually, than it actually was. So um, I don't I don't I don't think anything has necessarily changed over the last few years. I just think it's it's more that Farrell is this um, you know uh, just like I said I said it I said it a few times with just this sort of hard nosed guy um, and you know guys have gotten used to that I think. Lastly, I'm curious if the Red Sox just as players are talking about any of the things that happened this weekend with. Mike Trout being hurt and the Bryce Harper altercation with the Giants. Those are two star players. They really don't have anything to do with the Red Sox, obviously. But I'm curious if there was any conversation about either of those incidents among the uh, the players in the clubhouse. Not so much, but both, you know, none of neither of those two guys have much to do with the Red Sox. But at the same time, there's still connections. I mean, the Angels um, had a series sort of coming up at Fenway about a couple weeks, I think it is. Um, where it would have been cool to kind of see the uh, Trout and and Mookie Betts on the same field at the same time, given um, just sort of the uh, the one and two sort of comparisons between the two of them and, and MVP voting and, and just the types of players they are. Um, so that was something just us as reporters were talking about, um, sort of maybe losing that storyline, if you will. But um, 
you know, TVs are always on in the clubhouse and guys are sort of always talking about things. Um, there was no, I guess, talk necessarily specifically about the Bryce Harper, uh, Strickland, uh, brawl that happened. But, uh, but again, you know, the Red Sox sort of had some pretty intense, um, games against the Orioles, um, a few weeks ago and they play the Orioles next actually in Baltimore this, this weekend. Um, so I think that's maybe a little bit in the back of everybody's mind of, Hey, this, you know, is where things can escalate and maybe, you know, we need to be careful, uh, of, of, you know, how far things can go. Um, so, you know, and I'm sure, you know, the coaching staff has probably talked with them about that too, of, of just, you know, how they want to handle this because things have been so intense between the two teams with the Manny Machado slide and the Pedroia injury and, and Barnes throwing at Machado and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I'm sure that's, you know, these guys are paying attention to that and we'll see how that sort of plays out this weekend in Baltimore. Um, But I think either way, it'll be a, a really intense series regardless. You've been listening to Jen McCaffrey. You can give her a follow on Twitter at jmccaffrey and read her coverage of the Red Sox at masslive.com. Jen, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.